Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. Hey guys, how you doing? It's good to see you. Listen, thank you for uh, adjusting and being willing to uh, change and move. We, last week we were at 9 and 11. This week we're at 10 a.m. for one worship service. And, uh, and so we're just trying to make the best decisions that we can as we move through this COVID-19. It's just, uh, it's crazy, isn't it? And all we want to do is make sure that we're keeping everybody safe. And yet, uh, I had a conversation last week. Let me just tell you where I was last week as we were beginning all this. So last week before church started, because of all the new cases, especially in our county, I was about 95% sure that we were going to just close back down. Just based on uh, some experiences and some people who've been exposed and we were wondering if we had all been exposed and we're like okay what are we all going to do if we have been exposed to this virus and we cannot be here and so we were just trying to talk through all those things and so Taryn and I the kind of staff just met and I said I think after second service we'll know for sure what we should do next week and I had a conversation with the lady outside and uh and she came up and, and, and said, uh, she had a couple of boys with her, and they'd filled out their paperwork, you know, this kind of stuff. And they'd, they'd filled it out, and they wanted their candy, which I don't blame them at all. And so uh, she said, hey, I'm really praying about that decision, you know, about uh, whether or not you should meet next week or not. And I said, thank you. Can you tell me more about that? And, and uh, she said, yeah. And she said, I understand in our community I understand all of the dangers. I understand uh, all the reasons why people want to make sure that they're being safe. It's, it's one of those that the more people who get it and fight it off, the stronger our community becomes. And yet, you know, we have this part of our society that really would be vulnerable if they were to be exposed to it. Um, she said, and then she pointed at this building and she said, but this place right here, what you stand for, what you do, what you do for those of us who want to be here is so important. I just believe it's worth fighting for. And I'm praying for you. And that line, I believe it's worth fighting for. And instantly in my spirit, I flipped to 95% sure we're meeting next week. I had another good friend who said the same thing and sent a text. It was just hey, before you consider closing, would you think about these things? We'd already talked about it. And so that's why we sent out the video that said, we believe that the gathering of believers is worth fighting for. And it is, isn't it? And so I know that, and by the way, for those of you who are online, thank you for joining us. And, but if you could see what I see, everybody in the audience is wearing a mask. Everybody is so spread out. Uh, except for the Herons, who are all one family sitting upstairs, and Matt's got his arm around his wife, and good for you, right? And so, it, but, we're, but we're doing everything we can to make sure that we and everybody around us is safe. Amen? But isn't it important? Haven't believers always been challenged since the beginning of time from all of the persecution in the church? Hasn't there always been a reason to not gather and haven't they always pushed through to make sure that whatever they did, Hebrew writer says, they did not forsake the assembly of the gathering of believers. And then he just encouraged us. God's going to take care of you. 
gather. Now, he was talking about persecution. He was saying the persecution's not going to stop. There's no way you can avoid, if somebody wants to stamp out Christianity, they're never going to be able to because God's bigger than that. But they might get to you. God will take care of you. He wasn't talking about our personal health. He was talking about your soul, that part of you that will never die. There will be things that will challenge this shell we call a body. But what God wants to protect is what's inside you from your heart and your soul. So I just want to tell you personally, thank you for coming, for being here, for honoring the things of God, for pushing, you know, to make sure that you are chasing after God with all your heart. And for those of you online, thank you for making sure that you are running after God and running after all the things in your heart. Everybody makes the decision that they have to make, right? And there are those who I know and love who cannot be here. And there may be times that I may not be able to be here. Or Taryn or one of the other staff just because, hey, we've been out and we've been served and we may be exposed or whatever that stuff is. But thank you for honoring the things of God. However it lands on your decision this morning or in the future Sundays coming up. Amen? So we've been talking about the gospel. And today's word is where. Where is the gospel? Now, if you're a child... Uh, if, you're in, if you're in our children's ministry, or, or child at heart, so you're filling this all out, so I'm Mr. Rick, and today we're in Matthew 27, and we're going to read together verses 27 through 50. So that's Matthew 27, verses 27 through 50. Where is the gospel? That sounds like half a sentence. But what is the gospel? The gospel, first of all, has a name. What's the name of the gospel? Jesus, the gospel has a name, it lived, he was called Jesus. And so the gospel has a place. Well, where is that place? Where is Jesus? And so Matthew 27 begins to talk about how everything that Jesus lived for, the purpose of why he came down to earth, what he wanted to do with his one life, the reason that he came and what he wanted to accomplish was wrapped up in what we call the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, this is the way Matthew records it. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him they stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, and twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they went out, they found a man of Siren, Serene by name, um, of Serene, Simon by name, and they compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink, mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, 
They divided his garments among them by casting his lots, and they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put a charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. And those who passed by deride him, waging their hair, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you're the Son of God. Come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down if he come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabathani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. And yielded up his spirit. Reading all the gospels, there's a lot in here, and there's a lot more that really happened just all around the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. For us, that single event changed everything. For Christians all over the world, who had seen and know, knew that there was this prophecy that there was going to one day come this Messiah, looking for the Messiah, those who claimed to be the Messiah but was not, and then in Jesus they said, wow, he's different, he teaches different, he acts different, and who can understand the miracles that he performs? But because they thought he was a threat to their power, they crucified him. And the death, burial, and resurrection becomes the center focal point of everything we believe. And it becomes the fight over the whole world. But if you want to know where is the gospel, the book of John says that really it's in three different places. But if you just want to look at the holy lands, this is really where it began. This is Bethlehem. Trying to find some old pictures you know, of some of these historical holy places is very difficult. But this is Bethlehem, an old picture of Bethlehem with some shepherds. And this was the birthplace of Jesus. Somewhere right in this area, there was no place to stay in one of the inns or in someone's house or with other relatives. And they found an, a little place to go, a little cave probably outside and Jesus was born. And then, this is Nazareth. This is the place where Jesus grew up as a boy. He was a carpenter's son. This is where he played. This is where he memorized the first five books of what you call your Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's where he went to school. It's where he learned what was written 
in the Torah, in the old scriptures. This is where he learned how to swing a hammer and uh, play with his siblings, obey his parents. This is the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized. People today love to go and be baptized right in this place just because it gives them connection to Jesus. And so there's a, that's where he was baptized. This is Cana. This is where his ministry began. Somewhere in this area, there was the house, and in that house, somebody was getting married. I don't even know how Jesus knew the family or how his mother, father knew the family or how he got there. It's probably his father at this point had already passed away because we hear about his mother and what she's asking him to do. And all these people gather at this house and and weddings back then lasted a week, you know, and so they had gone through a lot of their food and they had gone through all of their wine. And the host was embarrassed. And so Jesus' mother went to him and she said, they've run out of wine. And Jesus said, it's okay. And she's like, no, 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 he's embarrassed. You, you need to do something. It's like, well, <laughs> my time has not yet come. Now, what is it that you're wanting me to do? You remember the story? And so, to keep the man from embarrassment, Jesus calls in for some pitchers of water, and he turns the water into wine. And this is the place where people's eyes became open to the fact that just maybe there's something different about this man, Jesus. Maybe he is the Messiah. And this is Jerusalem. Oh, my stars. So much of Jesus' life happened right here. So many events all in this city and in the surrounding area. And I like this little video of Jerusalem, of all the places where Jesus went, of all the things that Jesus saw, of all the miracles that he performed, of all the places where he traveled with his apostles, of all, all, you take all of those places and put them together, none became more important than this place right here, Jerusalem. It's still where the battle for the world settles. And in this place, Jesus did so many things. That particular place right there was where Jesus and his apostles would sit when they saw the two men who came to pray. One just declared, you know, I'm thankful that I'm not like this other guy. And one wouldn't even lift up his head and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. It was in that place. The three major religions of the world all battle over this holy land, this one place the Jews and their traditions, the Via Dolorosa, Islam and all of their followers, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all want to battle over this place. All of the traditions, all of the secrets held below the city, all of these little secret waterways that were created, you can read about them in the Old Testament even, all battling over Jerusalem. That's the place, that's where... The gospel happened. And even today, 
the battle over this temple mount rages because this is considered one of the most holy places for all of Islam. It's considered one of the most holy places for Judaism. Do you know that today the reason that the Jews do not offer animal sacrifices is because God told them there's one acceptable place to do it. And it's not just in Jerusalem. It's in that exact location where the temple was. And because there's now a different religion who occupies that place, they have put everything in their religion on hold. And this picture right here shows here's the wailing wall, right? And here's where, you know, Jews come. And here's the, you know, the, the temple mount where, and then the Church of the Holy Sepulchre where they believe that, well, if, I guess in the fourth century, they said that's probably the place where Jesus was crucified. And so you can go over there and you can touch this rock and, what do I think about it? I researched that all week long. And there's two different places. And quite frankly, I don't know. This is what I know. Jesus is not there. We have a religion where there's an empty tomb. And so for Christianity, our battle is not over a place of land. Our battle is over the hearts of people. However, in your Bible... It does say, as long as God tarries, as long as he does not come back, one day the kingdom of God will be given back over into the hands of the Jews and in this place, unless God decides to end the world before then. You can read a lot about it in Zephaniah and Haggai and those type of books in the Old Testament. But what is it for you Where's the gospel for you? For me, the gospel has these two points. It seemed to end right there. But it really begins right there. And so when I begin to read about where's the gospel today, I started with this, I'll end with this. The gospel of John Verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And every time you see the word, Word, he's talking about Jesus. In the beginning, Jesus existed. He was with God. He is God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. And the word gave life, and everything was created. And his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Three different places, really. And then Tara talked about this this morning in his, in his office. Three different places, really. Where is the gospel? Number one, the gospel was in heaven. With God from the very beginning. And then the gospel came to earth, dwelt among men, and in its darkest point culminated around the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. But today, where is the gospel? Is it not the light of the world? Is it not in you? So the challenge is, is the gospel of Jesus, is Jesus in you?
Does it travel with you? Do you obey it? Do you believe it? Do you listen to it? As you walk into your home, as you teach your children, as you go to work and interact with other people in your places of business, as you walk your neighborhoods and talk to your neighbors, as you go to the grocery store, as you drive your car. Because the gospel is in you or or not. And so that's the place where the gospel is today. The gospel of Jesus. Where is it? Well, it's in Scott Harrington and Charles and Barnes and probably more in his wife. Certainly more in my wife. And it's in Taryn and Leon and Sherry and the Duns and Laura and the Herons. Where's the gospel? Paul got so excited when he got to talk about it. I love, I do my Bible study around the topic of Ephesians. And in Ephesians, Paul is so excited. Can you believe it? He tells the church in Ephesus. He shared the good news with us and nobody else. We're the first generation who gets to declare the good news. That Jesus died for you. That he buried your sins. And that you now have salvation. Go tell the world. And Paul is like, I can't believe this mystery of the gospel. That he entrusted it to us. And we're the very first people who have ever lived. Who gets to declare Jesus Christ is alive in you. The hope of glory. Your life doesn't have to end in disaster. God has gone and prepared a place for you. He's waiting for you. So, you have the good news. You decide if you want the good news to live in you. You decide if you receive it. And if you do, the last words of Jesus said this, then you now go into all the world and preach that good news. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who doesn't won't be. So go tell the good news. And that's where the gospel is. Wherever you are, wherever you go, who have you shared the good news with lately? Who have you told of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Man, pray, Paul said, for an open door to share the mystery of the kingdom of God. To share the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for being here. Thank you for carrying in you the good news of Jesus. Thank you for watching online. Thank you for valuing the things of Jesus. Today, whether you're at home or whether you're here, I pray that you pause and share in communion. It's a very important, very simple thing. Do we have to do it every week? No. Should we do it every week? We should do it every day. Taking of communion is just a very simple symbol that just says the blood of Jesus means everything to me and the life of Jesus means everything to me. And so it's symbolized in that little cup of juice and that little wafer and it's available for you outside the door. And as you leave, all we were asked to do, these two sacraments and one of them that Jesus gave me said, listen, every time you eat of that bread and drink of that cup, 
you proclaim the good news. Go and share that with everyone. Would you pray with me? Lord God, all we want to do is declare the good news of Jesus. All we want to do is be a good representative of the death, burial, and resurrection. When people see our lives, we want them to see that there's something different in the reason we live, what we live for, who we live for, and what we do with our one wild and precious life. I pray, Lord God, that we will begin to see that the where of the gospel wasn't just in heaven. It wasn't just on a cross. It wasn't even in an empty tomb. But now the gospel goes wherever my feet lead me, wherever my hands find a place to serve, wherever our lips speak the good news of Jesus Christ. Wherever we live and breathe the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you want it to go into all the world. You want no one to be lost. So, Lord God, our prayer is that we honor you with our whole heart and that we share this good news with all the world. Thank you for your amazing grace. In the name of Jesus, amen.